Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Pitch to Contact podcast. I'm your host, Ben Jones, joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ka. John, when was the last time you reached base in eight straight plate appearances? I've never done that, actually. Yeah, so here's a fun fact about me. I did play baseball when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. but... I did not know at the time that I needed glasses or contacts. And so I played sports all my life and playing baseball was the first time I realized that I have no depth perception whatsoever. And so I think the most I ever reached base playing youth baseball was twice in a single game because I got hit by two pitches. So, Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I got thrown out playing T-ball. So that that shows you how good my um, athletic prowess was on the baseball diamond. (laughs) Yeah, well, I ask because Matt Walner just uh, reached base in his last eight straight pay- plate appearances uh, and then was rewarded by being optioned back to AAA. So right, maybe yep. it's not all it's chalked up to be after all. Yeah, you can't win them all, I guess. Can't win them all, even though he certainly tried. We'll talk more about that as well as the exciting corresponding move with Royce Lewis later in the episode. Uh, but first, as always, we have to get to the main portion of our podcast, which is the week, what happened last week, recapping all of the games. As a quick reminder, before we get started here, uh, be sure to follow our podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod, and make sure that you subscribe or follow wherever you get podcasts on whatever stream platform you listen on. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google, wherever it is, you can find us there and leave a five-star review. Everything helps. Uh, so like I said, we'll be going over the Giants and the Blue Jays series. Last week, the Twins went two and four, won one game in each of the series, losses to the Giants and the Blue Jays. For the season, somehow the Twins are still first in the god-awful AL Central. They are still the only team with a winning record. Technically, they're one game above 500. Detroit is surprisingly just one game below 500 and is only one game out for the lead. So they are somehow gaining on us. God, that just sounds terrible, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if if it sounds bad for us, it sounds worse for the Guardians and White Sox who are not even in front of the Tigers, who were not supposed to be competitive this year. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland, we'll talk about this in a little bit when we're looking forward to it, but they're the worst offense in the majors right now, which is like, it's it's kind of incredible because, you know, as Twins fans, we're like, no, we're the worst offense. But no, there is a team (laughs) that is worse than us somehow. Yeah, definitely. The... uh, the one that I'm not surprised by, even though it seems like a lot of other media folks tend to be, is the White Sox. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what I said coming into the season, which is until they look like they want to play competitive baseball, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to take them seriously as an organization. Uh, I didn't really feel like the moves that they made, adding Benintendi, adding Clevenger, was going to really help in any way. Yeah. And sure enough, I was right. And they're pretty bad, and I don't think they're going to get any better. Yeah. What's surprising here is, and I know some of this is a little inflated because – Usually, when you're behind in a game, you usually just start tossing out position pitcher, uh, position players to pitch, and so run differential because sometimes it's skewed. But the Twins have a plus forty two run differential. Uh, Detroit has a negative forty eight. Cleveland's got a negative thirty eight. The White Sox have a negative fifty. And Kansas City with a beautiful negative seventy six. So, oh boy, um, man, they none of none of this team, none of these teams can can score runs to save their lives. Granted, they're not as bad as the Oakland A's, who have a negative 199 run differential. They're not so. as bad as the historically awful team. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, that that's great. Um, it's good to know that even when the, tw- the Twins are treading water, like barely, like, yeah, we're still, we're, we're still uh, leading the, the division. Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest, right? 
We're going to talk about what happened this week. We're going to be pretty negative about what happened this week because it was a pretty negative week for the Twins overall. I think both of us were pretty discouraged by not just the results of the game, but the process of a lot of them and how how they went on. Uh, But in the AL Central, you're never going to be out of it, right? Unless you're the (laughs) Kansas City Royals, you're literally never going to be out of it. And so all that matters is can you have a good month somewhere? And hopefully for the Twins, June will be that month. Yeah, if you really want to put it into context – Kansas City's 11 and a half games out of the AL Central lead. Toronto, who we just played, is 10 and a half games out of the AL East League. So technically, the Royals aren't completely out of it yet. Technically, but, you know. <laughs> Their I, magic I think, number is still somewhere maybe like the 50s or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the Blue Jays have quite a bit more talent on their it, side. Just a tiny bit, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the series. John, let's start with Giants game one. Yeah, so it was a 4-1 loss. Uh, Bailey Ober was our starting pitcher. Five innings, three hits, four in runs, three walks, two, only two strikeouts. Um, but that damage all came in a three-run shot in the first. Um, he ended up giving up four total runs in the first inning, but really didn't have any issues after that. It was basically just another start where the secondaries didn't do too much. He only had two strikeouts after all. And he did have four straight starts with six, so that's where maybe... Sometimes you just have a bad start. It's unfortunate that it came against the Giants because they're not exactly like a lights-out offense by any sort of metric. Um, so a little tough to see that that result. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a, overall he looked good for four innings. So that's probably what you could probably the bright spot there. The big story here, of course, was the lineup decisions because it, sometimes, like sometimes, I think the Twins maybe think a little too hard, but the, the irony is that they're also facing basically, basically one of like the biggest like gamesmanship uh, managers in the league and Gabe Kapler. Uh, Kapler has been on record in saying like, yeah, we just want to knock out relievers in games one and two. So that when game three comes around the series, like it's an easier path for us. So this is a guy who loves analytics, loves, you know, outsmarting a team, things like that. And I think Rocco and Falvey are kind of maybe on the same wavelength as Kapler. Um, and so everyone knew John Brebbia was announced as the starter for this game, but he wasn't really going to start. He was just going to be an opener. And the expectation was that Sean Manaya was going to follow him. And the thing with Manaya is that he is a lefty. And so originally the twins had structured their lineup so that Julian was going to, uh, Julian was going to bat first and then AK Kirilov was going to uh, bat third so that you get your lefties to face John Brebbia, who's a righty. And then they would pack, you know, basically the lineup card from four to nine with a bunch of righties so that they could knock out Shamanaya. Well, the Giants were like, hey, Shamanaya, why don't you go out and pitch a bullpen session before the game? Rocco hears about this, um, decides, you know what, we're going to change the lineup. Moves, uh, keeps, I think he keeps Kirilov at, uh, in the leadoff spot, but he moves Julian back to the fourth spot. Um, I think Julian bats clean up then. And then, lo and behold, second inning comes around, and Shamanaya is pitching. And so the Twins did the weird thing of pinch hitting for Ed Julian before he even took a swing. Yeah. It was, it was a weird situation all around, right? I know Rocco got a lot of heat for it, and I think understandably, but there's no way you could have expected Sean Manaya to come into that game. Like, I'm not an expert, but I can't imagine there's been very many – pitchers who pitched a bullpen session that morning and then pitched in a game later that day. The gray that's in terms of like workload, this is not something that Mm -hmm. really happens for pitchers. And so it, they were definitely caught off guard by it, but I'll also say that, 
what's the harm in letting them take a few early inning at bats? It's one thing if this is happening the eighth or ninth inning, right? You just Mm -hmm. want to get your best chance to get somebody on base. But give your guys a chance, right? Julian and uh, Kirilov are both guys who like they're better against righties for sure, but they're Mm -hmm. not horrible against lefties, at least in their minor league numbers. And Mm so give them a shot. This is a May game against the Giants in the long term long-term scheme of things it's not really going to matter because also it limits your options greatly down the line of what you can do when you have to use two of your bench moves in the you know second and third inning yeah i mean having having solano and garlic come in means that it like let's just say like you had started the lineup with solano and garlic right then you could have brought in julian when eventually mania comes out of the game and they only have righty relievers but yeah it was just kind of a weird situation um and at the end of the day, I think the report was that Manaya only threw like eight to ten pitches, so it wasn't even like a true bullpen session. He was just maybe warming up before the game. I don't know. Um, maybe something starting, to try to just throw the Twins off, right? It, like honestly, basically the time to do this exact thing. Yeah, like they they know, right? Like oh, Rocco and the Twins love setting up platoon lineups. They know Manaya is going to come and pitch, so they have a bunch of righties. Let's just throw it off just a little bit. I, I don't know. To me, it's just. It, whether there's gamesmanship or not, um, it just feels it just felt like a middle, little bit of a too much of a, a knee trick reaction. That being said, though, Garlic was the only one who got any runs that game. So, like, maybe it was the right move. Twins only managed four hits and four walks in total. And I think the uh, the home run did Garlic hit a home run in this game? Is that what happened? Yeah, here? yeah, it was the Garlic. Yeah, what, wasn't it off a righty anyway? It was off a righty. Yeah, that was. Yeah, exactly. Side, so yeah. it's like you can try to make all the right moves, and in the end, Kyle Garlic hits a home run off a righty, and it doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But the Twins ended up striking out sixteen times. They made Sean and I look like uh, his old self, essentially. Um, and I was looking this up because it's like sixteen times is a lot. So uh, yeah, the Twins currently have the highest strikeout rate in the majors. I'll talk about this a little bit later in the pod, um, but. Yeah, they uh, they strike out a lot. The best, the I guess, the nice thing is that they have the seventh best walk rate. Um, ironically, though, the Giants have the second highest strikeout rate. So uh, it was a little surprising that Ober only managed two strikeouts at this one. Yeah, that's the uh, Lamont Wade Junior. special. I've heard. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, I'm not saying like Twins. Uh, twins have a, a record of having their um, old. Uh, old prospects come back and haunt them. But man, Lamont Wade Jr., like he didn't look great. Like, let's admit, he did look great in a Twins uniform. He was he had some flashes of brilliance. Uh, but he was never going to be more than like a fourth outfielder for this team. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, he goes to, the, goes to the Giants and turns out to be like an everyday starter. So. Strikes me very similar as the Brent Rooker situation, right? Given where yeah. he was at in his development at the time, nothing wrong yeah. with the move. The other mm-hmm. team unlocks a little bit something else that they found, yeah. and Jordan's new a better player. That happens. Yeah. Exactly. Well, moving on to game two, this was a 4-3 loss. Sonny Gray pitched with five innings, six hits, two run runs, two walks, and six strikeouts. The good thing here was that the curveball was back, had a 42% called strike plus whiff percentage. Um, it was thrown for strikes 83% of the time. Just a reminder, this curveball just basically was non-existent at the last two starts. So it's nice to see him back. The sinker and the four-seamer were also pretty decent, although the four-seamer was, was the one that was getting hit and getting runs in. Uh, he did start the sixth, but ended up walking J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto doubled after that. Then he watched Mitch Hanniger to load the bases. Um, so, you know, logically, the Twins pulled him uh, and then brought in Giovanni Moran to pitch in the rest of the sixth. Tough spot for him. He did get two outs, but then he proceeded to walk in a run. So the Twins were like, all right, Joanna, you're done. Here's Brock Stewart, who like only throws strikes. And then he also walked in a run. So, um, yeah. So Sonny Gray actually ended up pitching 
uh, five shutout innings. It just so happened he let three men on base in the sixth, and then that, those were two where his two earned runs ended up being. Yeah, this this looked a little bit like 2022 Sunny Gray, where you kind of flip the lineup around the third time, and immediately he looks completely lost. Yeah, and so he he'd been better about that mostly this year, but um, you know this time third time through the order, he was having a really rough go. And I, you know, obviously the walked in runs are very frustrating, but mm. I do want to give a little bit of a shout out to Giovanni Moran. If you've been watching the Twins broadcasts, uh, Bramer and Morneau have both been very complimentary of Moran for how good he's been, especially since Thielbar went down. Yep. And, you know, I'm right there with them where he came in in an impossible situation. He got the first two outs. Those are the hardest ones to get. Yep. Just ran into a little bit tr- of trouble there at the end. And he, he's been really, really good for the last month or so when the Twins really needed him to be. Yeah. And honestly, like in a situation where you literally can't make any mistakes, um, like kind of the best case thing other than just walking away with three straight outs is walking in a run. Yeah. Um, it, you get a hit, two guys are going to come in. If obviously, yeah. you hit a double, most likely three are. So. Yeah. So, yeah, Moran's definitely impressed uh, because, yeah, he was uh, he was not great um, earlier in the season. So um, good for him. And, and it's good to know that uh, at least there's a little bit of life in the bullpen from a guy not named uh, Duran, I guess. A little bit. <laughs> Uh, for the bats, I mean, three runs, um, both of them came off homers, uh, Baron Buxton and Michael A. Taylor both had homers, uh, Buxton had a two run shot pretty much other than that. Only three other twins got on base. Gallo got a walk Solano and Vasquez both had hits. Um, uh, but other than that, it was just a very quiet night. Uh, it's one where I, I think the bullpen got a lot of flack for this one. Cause the twins had a late lead. They had a chance to win, but at the same time, you still need the offense to put up more than three runs, right? That's not even a league average number. And yep. so, um, you know, it's frustrating because you had those walked in runs with the bases loaded from Moran and Stewart. But at the end of the day, like most of the losses in the past two, three weeks, basically, it still falls on the offensive shoulders despite the bullpen struggles. Right. Yeah. You should be able to score more than four runs, in my opinion, in a, in, in this um in this era of baseball, so to speak. Definitely. Yeah. Well, game three, of course, that's when they decided to turn on the bats uh, because Joe Ryan was pitching in a 7-1 victory. <laughs> five innings, five hits, one and run, two blocks, and four strikeouts. Um, not the best start from Joe Ryan. The secondaries were pretty infect- ineffective after doing so well the start before. The four-seamer also wasn't on its A game, but honestly, being able to escape with one run is a good is a good sign that he can at least manage even when the stuff isn't working. Um but of course, the stuff didn't have to work super well because, for some reason, the Twins only give run support when Joe Ryan is pitching. <laughs> um, yeah, Ed Julian had a leadoff homer, which is pretty pretty cool to see. Willie Castro also with a decent night, two for three with two runs and a stolen base. Um, no, honestly, not too much to talk about here. The the Twins were kind of just bringing. It wasn't like any major, like a, a grand slam or anything like that. Pretty cool. They were just doing well and getting guys in. Yeah, the uh, the Giants actually out hit the Twins in this game ten to one, but only or ten to seven, but only scored the one run. Uh, part of the reason they gave up seven runs on seven hits was they also committed four errors, so that certainly yeah. helps. Yeah, they'll do it. <laughs> so yeah, they managed to get one run and not get swept by the Giants. So good for them, I guess. Uh, but then moving on to the Blue Jays uh, series, uh, they started Game One with a three-one loss. Louis Varland uh, pitched for six innings with seven hits, three earned runs, and three strikeouts. Um, this was actually kind of a little bit of a positive game, I was hoping, because he was facing Kevin Gossman, who's 
you know, one of the better pitchers in the majors. And Varlin looked good through the first two innings. He was uh, not pitch. He wasn't throwing a ton of pitches. He was working pretty quick. Um, on the other hand, Gaussman was actually struggling just a little bit in the first inning. But then the third inning came, and Varlin hung a couple sliders, one to Kevin Kiermaier, um, took it for a solo home run. What followed after that was a George Springer double down the right field line. It basically just took a bad hop off the first ta- first base bag, went into foul territory. Garlic was chasing it, and so uh, Springer was able to get a double out of that. Um, the expected batting average on that was 190, so you know he turned that into a double, which is great. Um, and then Varlin just made another mistake with a hung slider to Bobichette, who just drove it deep center, 424 feet. So, um, yeah, that was that was all the damage that it took. And other than that, he got through you know the other five innings without too much of an issue. You know, looked like a pretty decent game manager, um, and that that was kind of it. Yeah, uh, Bobichette was very good this entire series. Really killed Dude. the Twins. Yeah, um, the good it. news is, is really outside of him, the Twins did a decent job with the rest of that lineup yeah. with a lot of big names, a lot of big bats shutting him down. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. especially started off in this one, um, kind of setting the tone for how they were going to approach him and did it really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Bobachet, other than Duran, who I think got him to strike out, never really had an answer for him this entire series. Yeah, I, I can't remember which hit it was. It might have been a double. I don't think it was this homer, but he got out like way ahead of like a, a high fastball, I think, and just drove it to deep left. Um, this, I think this, I don't know if this was the one where um, Kirilov misplayed the ball, but Bichette like looked so impressive. Like his inside out swing kind of, I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know if it really was an inside out swing. He was just hitting stuff that was like inside, like just because he was just getting early on it and um, able to drive it far. He looked so impressive this series. Yeah, definitely. With uh, Gossman, too, the other thing I wanted to say about him is uh, obviously, you know, he's been one of the better pitchers the last couple of years, in large part thanks to his emphasis on that little like split finger type pitch that he has that really just yep. disappears under bats. It's disgusting. It, it's crazy. And relative to how good he's been this year, this was actually one of his shorter starts. He has two starts this year against the. Uh, Astros and against the Red Sox, uh, the sign stealers, where <laughs> he gave up, what is it, eight runs in one, eight runs in both of them, uh, didn't finish five innings in either of them. Other than that, he's gone at least six innings in every other start, except for this one against the Twins, where he only went to five and a third. So relative win because they were able to get five walks off of him, despite uh, how good he was looking. Yeah, I um, I was at, so I was at this game, and I, I think it was the Ed Julian um, a Julian at bat where Gaussman, because of that split change, um, has reverse split. So he's a righty, but he does a lot yeah. better against lefties. And it was, I don't know if it was 2 2 or 3 2. And you could just feel like he's going to throw a splitter. Like you knew it. <laughs> and then Ed Julian just swings through it. And you look at the slow mo replay and it's just tailing towards him. And then all of a sudden just drops out of the zone. Um, and you're just like you. Everyone knew that pitch was coming, and it, it still like had you still took a swing. So I don't blame Julian for that. Like Gaussman, that that pitch is disgusting. Um, yeah. And he met. He did. He actually had a pretty good game, right? He he had an issue in the first where he got two men on base, um, but then Buxton flew out. Kirilov and Farmer both struck out, and pretty pretty much the Twins were never a threat until the sixth when both Kirilov and Julian both walked, and then Garlic hit a double to left. I think. 
scoring um, Kirilov, and then Julian was at third. So um, the only other thing here was the Twins managed to stay in the game because the Jays had some pretty poor base running. In the first, they had a double play that they took advantage of where um, the the guy on third kind of got off the bag a little early, and then they were able to get him out and then fire uh, over to first. And then they also managed to get a runner out in scoring position out in the fifth. Um, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Kiermaier who had it, like hit a triple um, and then made a base running mistake, and then they got him out there, so they only had a man on first. So um, ultimately good for good for the Twins, uh, but that's not the result you want. It sucks because you are facing one of the better pitchers of Gaussman, but being able to being able to only put up run run one run here is still yeah. kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I, I won't add much more about the offense. Same thing I just said for the last game, which is we pitched well, didn't have the offense to back it up. Uh, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, Carlos Correa on that double play because that was 100% all him where he yeah. chased down the runner mm-hmm. running between third and home. Uh, they were running a little contact play, got caught in between. Correa chased him down and then very smartly glanced over to first, saw Guerrero was off the bag, yep. rifled it over there with his amazing arm like he's t- – like he tends to do and was able to double him off and really get the twins out of that inning. Yeah. I So I actually didn't see the play. I'm assuming Guerrero like rounded first, right? Yeah. So he, since he, uh, since he hit the soft grounder over to Correa, he was like, okay, let me get to first. And then he probably thought that there was going to be more of a rundown situation where he was going to be able to get to second. Right. He saw Correa t- tag him, try to get back to first, couldn't get back in time. Yeah. But yeah. I heard it on the radio and I was like, Oh cool. And then I, proceeded to not watch the replay <laughs> afterwards so yeah um but yeah that was a unfortunate game to start the series of course game two then they came in with a 9-7 victory paulo lopez uh was the pitcher here with 5.2 innings five hits four earned runs three walks and six strikeouts honestly the best thing i can say here is that he just did enough he gave up two homers but he didn't put base runners on to score more runs which is good uh, in terms of his pitch mix, the slider did well, so that's been and that's been more consistent, which is good to see because he kind of lost it for a couple starts. Uh, but then his changeup really wasn't there. So the really thing with here with Pablo is that when all three pitches, his four seamer, his slider, and his changeup are working, that's when he's like truly an elite pitcher who can take care of both sides of the plate. Um, but he does seem to have a little bit of a home run issue that we're seeing um, for the past few starts. Yeah, it's again like you said, he did enough and. I think if this is kind of the floor we're seeing with Pablo, I'm okay with that floor. Obviously, the home runs, you want to get in check because there's been quite a few the last few starts, but they've been against teams that hit a lot of home runs. And so mm-hmm. um, Pablo has that ace ceiling, and he has good starter floor. I'll take that any day of the week. And so, um, yeah, a, a decent start, all things considered. Yeah. Well, those nine runs came uh, thanks to Willie Castro, who had two homers, and Matt Walner with a homer. Uh, this was kind of funny because in the fifth, that's when Castro and Walner went back to back with homers and Dalton Varsho ended up being the goat of the game because he, uh, missed, uh, he misplayed the first homer for sure. It bounced. It was definitely not going over the fence. Then it, he went up for the catch and it bounced off his glove and then went over to the, yeah. the grass area in front of the batter's eye. The second one was actually kind of impressive. He managed to get his glove on it before it fell into the bullpen, uh, but it just slipped out. So he was able to rob uh, Matt Walner there. But um, yeah, kind of lucky that Varsho didn't rob two straight homers, or else this would have been a little bit of a different of the game. Uh, but it 
the Twins were kind of on fire in terms of offense. They had 14 hits total. Walner had a four for four day. That's kind of how he started that uh, that streak that we mentioned at the beginning of the, the pod. Um, Ed Julian also had a decent game, three for five, um, and also had a homer late in the in the game as well. Yeah, the uh, one other thing with the Varsha home runs, like you said, the first one probably wasn't going out and then bounced off his glove and went out. The second one, he got up over the fence, almost snagged it. But the other thing with it is Varsha was a really good defensive outfielder. Yeah. One of the only ones who's better is Kevin Kiermeyer, who started the game in center and left with an injury in the previous inning. And so that's one where if Kiermeyer's out there, I'm pretty sure he makes both of those plays. And mm-hmm. so he, he's a platinum glove winner every single year is one of the best defensive center fielders in the entire game. And so it's one where it's like just that little thing that happened the previous inning means the twins are, you know, they score those three runs. I think they got on those two homers. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, of course, the reason why this was so close is because Jorge Lopez had a shaky ninth. Um, he gave up three hits, including a homer to Dalton Varsho, I believe. Um, and that cut the lead to nine to six. Um, Brock Stewart ended up coming in, got the save. Um, the big news here was that he had really good velocity in his pitches. He was touching ninety nine, I think. Yeah. On a couple of those, and um, like he essentially has gone from a nobody to, unfortunately, I guess for the state of this uh, state of this bullpen, a guy that the Twins are going to see as maybe a crucial part uh, for the for the stretch uh, for, for down the stretch. Yeah, it, Jorge Lopez. I'm pretty concerned about him after these last couple outings. This one especially where he wasn't able to get a single out in the in his appearance. And uh, part of why the Twins were really good to start the season was there were some bullpen questions, but you had Lopez and Duran in some order in the 8th and the ninth who were going to come in and shut it down. You know, we, we gave Lopez a big shout out at the beginning of the year because you know, there's a stretch where he was giving up so few hits he hadn't given up any runs and now he's kind of looking a little bit more like the version of himself that he was towards the end of his time uh last season rather than the all-star that he was in the beginning yeah. and so that's something where there were already bullpen issues came okay, Moran's emerged he's been a little bit more reliable Brock Stewart we just talked about Caleb Thielbar should be back soon Griffin Jacks is looking better after some rough outings but mm-hmm. You know, it'd just be nice with the bullpen to kind of get everybody humming all at the same time, which hasn't really been the case. Yeah. Well, moving on to game three, uh, Bailey Ober was the pitcher here with five innings, five hits, two earned runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. The main story here was that he was kind of laboring. He had seven, 67 pitches by the end of the third, but then he only pitched nine, nine pitches in the fourth. Pretty good. Held on to finish the fifth. Fastball was pretty good. Changeup was getting strikes as well. Um, obviously, a seven strikeout day is, is pretty solid. He had an unfortunate second inning, though, because um, there was an infield hit from Dal- Dalton Varsho. Julian, uh, who was the second baseman, went to his left, managed to get like a pretty decent stop, actually. like If he doesn't get that, that's maybe a, maybe a double. Um, but then he messed up on the transfer from the glove to his throwing hand, couldn't get Varsho for the out. Um, they did rule it though, as an infield single, not as an error. Um, then there was, um, a fly ball to shallow center. Uh, Kirloff was running over from left. He dived for it. Couldn't field it. Ended up being a double, uh, actually ended up being a single from Alejandro Kirk and then scored two runs. The main thing here though, was that it was hit to shallow center and Willie Castro started at center today because of platoon, uh, reasons, um, 
like I don't they did they wanted lefty and Michael Taylor's a righty so Castro's been a little hot this week so they're like hey let's get a lefty uh, in the bat uh, in the lineup and then yeah in my opinion Castro probably didn't get as good of a jump as he should have in order to field that that fly yeah. that fly ball yeah it's uh this whole kind of sequence that happened here is a little bit of the situation that the twins put themselves in with the injuries that they've had where Mm -hmm. Julian, he has the bat, but the biggest question with him has always been his actual defensive ability at second base. Um, And so, you know, it's one of those little things where it's okay. Technically that's a hit. It's not an error, but that's a play that most likely Jorge Polanco makes, right? If Kyle Farmer's over there at second, that's a play that Kyle Farmer makes. And so Mm -hmm. little things like that. And then Willie Castro, he, has been really good this week, right? So you have to give him credit for that, especially offensively. He's filled in everywhere around the diamond when the Twins have needed him to. Yep. He hasn't filled any position particularly well, right? He's not a bad fielder anywhere, but he's not really a good fielder anywhere either. And yep. so the Twins will run him out in various places, but he's in center field because Byron Buxton has to be a DH. Nick Gordon broke his shin, and Michael A. Taylor needs days off occasionally. And mm-hmm. so that that's why Willie Castro finds himself in center field and, you know, not necessarily his fault. He should have gotten a better jump, like you said, but that's what you're doing when you put Willie Castro out in center. Yeah. Um, well, when the team doesn't score any runs, it's kind of hard to say anything positive happened with the bats. Of course, the maybe the story here was that Jose Barrios had the revenge game storyline. He had 5.2 shutout innings. He did allow nine base runners, so it wasn't like he pitched a great game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just want to mention like a really funny thing. Um, when, when Ed, in the first inning, um, the the Twins got the Gallo is batting leadoff, got on base. Ed Julian got on base, and then Kirilov hits. I forget if it was like a grounder or a, a fly ball. I think it was a fly ball. Um, and uh, Gallo gets the third, and the cutoff throw comes in, and they were basically cutting off to prevent him from obviously reaching home. And the the throw was well in time; like Gallo would not have hit home. So Gallo put up the brakes at third. Unfortunately. <laughs> Ed Julian just like is not paying attention, I guess. Round second takes like a lead towards third, realizes, oh shoot, the ball's already in the infield. And gets, Joey Gallo's still at third base. Yeah, Joey Gallo's still at third base. And uh, he gets tagged out for the out, right? The funny thing, though, is Twins social media basically, <laughs> like, I think I read tweets from Dan Hayes from uh, Do Young Park. I tweeted out a similar thing. I think Twins Reddit was like basically had the same mindset. We we're like, well, hey, like at least the bases aren't loaded with a one out situation. Like maybe this is actually a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I sent the exact same message to our like Twinkie Town group chat where I was like, veteran move there by Julian, making <laughs> yeah, sure exactly. not to load the bases. Yeah, we're we're a truly damaged fan base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, you know, that's another one of those things with Julian where those are the little things that are gonna keep you off the team if you know you have to make a decision who's getting optioned down when everybody's healthy right and so you want julian's bat in there but the defensive mistake the the base running mistake those are the little things that matter it was also funny that this is seemingly the one time that tommy watkins doesn't send a guy running third to home and they still got it out on the bases anyway yeah exactly it's just like just our luck um there was also a pretty good throw from the outfield um to get Alex kirloff who was running the bases, got him out at third. Um, I think the replay showed Chapman was blocking the bag with his footer, basically. Uh, Kirloff slid into Chapman's leg, and that allowed Chapman to, to get the tag there. But um, just some really annoying things that happened throughout the game that prevented us from scoring more. 
or scoring at all, really, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Correa had like an absolute bomb to deep center that I thought oh, was, yeah. was a goner. Um, but it was literally a foot too short. Um, and Varsho basically like did the same catch movement that he did um, against <laughs> Willie Castro, except this time the ball found his glove. Um, I was looking at Savant later. It was, of course, naturally the second hardest hit ball of the day. The longest hit ball of the day would have been a homer in 20 out of 30 parks, had a 970 ex- expected batting average. Um, and it was just uh, just a routine flyout today so yeah just just the uh, twins luck just specifically carlos correa's luck too with how things have been going for him so far this year but yeah either way right one play aside or not the twins had plenty of opportunities in this game and still couldn't capitalize yeah i think the only other thing of note was um griffin jacks came in the pitch uh in the sixth and i think what was important here was that he faced bobichette who already mentioned we already mentioned as having a great series Vlad Guerrero Jr., who is always deadly, and then Brandon Belt, who's, I mean, whatever. So the fact is he faced two of the the Jays' best the best hitters and was able to um, have a one, two, three inning. So um, it looks like, you know, it is still, you know, beginning top of the six. It's not like the, the Twins were any right. sort of like fire drill situation. They were down 2-0, so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but they at least were willing to say, like, hey, you know, two, two of the best hitters in the game are – about to come up let's send in griffin jacks to take care of this yeah one thing that's interesting with jacks before we move on here too is um his pitch mix where the percentage of each pitch that he's using is pretty much the same yeah. but he's been using them in different situations and you can see that with pitchers or with hitters they're looking for that slider and he's caught him off guard a few times with you know throwing the 97 up there his fastball has the velocity doesn't have a lot of movement and so if hitters are looking for that fastball that's where he can run into trouble but he's using the hitters expectations against them he has uh, according to stuff plus his slider is still one of the best pitchers in the game and Mm so it's going to be a weapon it's going to be good it's just you have to like that catch the hitters off guard use their expectations against them and he'll be in a much better position right i mean because because he is sort of you know, not a right-on-right specialist because, I mean, all righty relievers are generally right-on-right specialists. But, right. Um, yeah, that that slider is kind of his bread and butter. But today he threw eight fastballs and yeah. only two two sliders. So there you go. Um, yeah, just using using uh, the scouting report against um, against the opponent. Definitely. All right. Well, we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with some uh, talking points and general malaise about the state of Twins baseball. All right, and we're back. Uh, so first things first, let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about the struggles. Let's talk about some specific things that we've seen throughout this week that are you know, maybe some bad signs. So let's start with the lack of plate discipline that we've seen from the Twins in particular. We've seen a lot of strikeouts, You know, these pitchers coming in, setting their season highs for strikeouts, for whiffs, for swings and misses. John, what have you seen as far as plate discipline goes for the Twins? Yeah, I've just seen a lot of, bad swings like (laughs) i i think it was game one of the blue jay series and jeffers was up to bat and there's like a curveball in the dirt like it it bounced like a foot before home plate and he still swung like and of course that's just one swing and the bunch of swings that the twins take but there is something there where i don't know if it's a team philosophy or something like if we just look at stats alone, right? Just like let's let's take out the eye test. Like let's just look at stats because obviously I don't remember every single swing that that the Twins make. They're about league average in terms of swinging at pitches outside the zone, which is it's fine. 
they're a bit above average when swinging, swinging at pitches inside the zone. That's a pretty good thing. You want to swing at pitches inside right. the zone. But the weird thing is that they can't make any contact. Um, so, like, not only are they taking bad swings, when they make swings, like, they just aren't hitting the ball. They're the third worst in terms of making contact on swings outside the zone. You know, that can be a good or bad metric. Sometimes you don't want to make contact on those bad pitches. Um, but then we've also seen, I think, like, what, last week, um, Griffin Jags had a pitch that was, like, a f- like what, half a foot outside and it was taken for a home run. So, you know, sometimes you do want to make contact on, on those bad pitches that are outside the zone. Um, but then when you're looking at pitches inside the zone, they're third worst at making contact there as well. So like, even when they're trying to swing at pitches, like inside the zone, they're just whiffing. Um, in general, they're the worst team at making contact on swings. And so conversely, they're also the team that whiffs the most. All of this adds up to, like I mentioned earlier, the highest strikeout rate in the majors. So it's, it's just not a good recipe for success when you just keep swinging and missing. Um, because that doesn't get guys on bases. And uh, it just, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I think you can also put this in context too, where you know, maybe this is a way to frame it a little bit as it's not as bad as it seems, right? Look at third worst in terms of making contact on swings outside the zone. You know who's responsible for a lot of those? Jose Miranda. And he got option because of it, you know? That's true. Um, and then at the same time too, because of the injuries, Kepler's missed time, Polanco's missed time. Those are guys that are pretty good at making contact and putting the ball in play. And so, you know, you replace that with Julian, who, you know, theoretically has that skill set, but he's still pretty new. Walner, who could end up being something good, but he's very similar to the Joey Gallo profile where he's going to swing and miss a lot. And then another one, Joey Gallo, who's consistently at the top or the middle of the lineup. He swings and misses a lot, right? He's really good, but he hits 200 because he strikes out a lot. And so it's not all you know, the end of the world where I think it does get a little more concerning is with um, Buxton or Correa, where mm. there's been a lot of plate appearances for Buxton these last couple of weeks where he's out on three pitches and never really looks competitive and, and the at bat at all. Um, and then obviously Correa, same thing, right? Where we've talked a lot about his struggle with fastballs inside where he really can't catch up to him early in the season here and how, you know, we're getting to the point where it's not early in the season anymore. And so mm-hmm. when, when do you start to get concerned about that trend? Yeah. I mean, we're a third of the way through. So for guys that have played, you know, Buxton's leading the the team in 48 games played. Of course, he's not out on the field for those 48 games. Um, Correa's just behind him at 46. Like Buxton's got a 225 average. Correa's got a 216 average. Buxton's got a 780 OPS. Correa's got a 700 OPS. Like, those are just numbers that you don't want from guys who should be, you know, all-star players at least, you know, yeah. playing at that level. And, and I think you can you can look at one of two ways, right? You can say, oh, the Twins are bad. They're still not getting better. Or you can say, okay, we got the bad stuff out of the way. The good stuff has to come, right? Correa has such a long track record of being right. an above-average hitter, right? He's not always going to be the best hitter. That's not his calling card, but he's never been a below-average hitter. And mm-hmm. so – uh, you know, you know that's going to turn around. Buxton, we know, goes to these really hot and cold streaks, and so he very well next week could win three games by himself with his offense. And so, um, you know, that you can look at it that that way. You can look at it the other. The Twins are going to get healthier. They're going to get better at this. Um, but there's some other metrics that maybe just say that this is kind of their approach potentially. Yeah. The other thing too is Correa also did get hot at the end of last season. Yeah. So he can he could definitely still turn it on. Um, he's leading the team in doubles 
it, you know, it's not like he's not making a ton of impact um, right. when he does hit. Um, you know, he's he's second. Yeah, he's second on the team in terms of RBI. Um, Trevor Larnaca, ironically, is still first with 27, <laughs> um, despite being out for three games now. But yeah, one last thing I want to say about Correa too is. I don't think any real logical Twins fan thinks this, but every once in a while you see, oh, what, why is Correa on this contract? This is what he was going to do, right? Right. And, and I just want to reiterate, Correa's never been like a ton of home run, ton of RBI type type of hitter, right? He's always been a top of the league defender at shortstop, which is incredibly valuable, and yep. an above average hitter at shortstop, which is also incredibly valuable. There's not a single team in the league that wouldn't sign Carlos Correa to the exact same deal the Twins did, right? This right. isn't an overpay. This isn't anything. This is the money you pay for a star player. And so it, it's a little bit frustrating, but I think the bigger thing here is more of a roster construction thing where mm-hmm. in the best version of the twins is Carlos Correa really hitting second second every day. I would probably say no, I would say he's probably better and more like the five hole range, you know? Yeah. I mean, he, his career average is two seventy six, right? Like that's decent, but it's not like elite in terms right. of hitting like it, and we, I mean, we see this maybe in relation because, I mean, obviously, I, I pay more, I pay a lot more attention to fantasy stats than my day to day sort of baseball intake. And Correa is always known as a guy who's not a good fantasy player. He's a great real life player, right? Um, and yeah, like you just his, a lot of his war comes from the fact that he's a great defensive player as well, um, yeah. and that's what makes him. Yeah, makes him elite uh, is because he's an all great all around player. He's basically the exact opposite of Bobachet, where Bobachet, <laughs> yeah. great fantasy player, despite what you saw uh, this year and actually how he's been pretty much this year so far, is dude. He had he, some he, sick throws today. He, he had some great throws, but historically he's been a pretty awful disp- defender at short, which has made him a not as valuable real life player despite yep. the good offense. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, you can't you can't get everything, uh, but yeah. I, I think I'm not really that concerned about Carlos Correa. I'm more concerned about everything surrounding Carlos Correa and if that's setting him up for success. Right, exactly. The next thing, it, I just thought this was super interesting after I was looking at contact numbers, was the, the approach at the plate. Um, the Twins have the third highest fly ball rate in the majors, but the second lowest ground ball rate. Um, and like I mentioned, they strike out the most and they also walk a lot. So it was like, are the twins just like a three true outcomes team? You know, not not just like a team made it like that has a f- few th- like three true outcome players. Like, legitimately, like they're just like your goal is to either hit a homer, strike out, or walk like to yeah. every single batter. Like that's it doesn't feel like that, but it does feel like a lot. Like when when you're whiffing that much and just not making a ton of contact, like it does feel like that's a little bit of the philosophy. It's just like hey, fine like identify the pitch that you want. And then if you see it, like swing, other than that, you could ignore everything else. Yeah. Again, it's a little bit of roster construction where when you have Gallo, when you have Buxton, you're going to get a lot of those. Buxton's actually been pretty good at walking this year. Gallo obviously is a really good at the plate discipline aspect. Um, But yeah, it's just, I almost wonder if there's a little bit of, you know, Bomba Squad syndrome in here where mm-hmm. that 2019 team was so exciting. They're the talk of the league. They set the MLB record for most home runs in a season. And it was one of the most successful regular seasons the Twins had had, you know, in 20 years. And right. so I wonder if there's just a little bit of still trying to hold on to that of, we're really successful this way. 
everybody was more successful that way back then because of the ball, basically. Right. Um, so now that that has shifted, you know, we've seen the twins shift a little bit too. There's been a walk-off bunt. They've taken a little bit more of a conservative approach. They're stealing yeah. more bases, mm-hmm. um, which is good. They're starting to adjust. But I wonder if you know maybe the mindset of a lot of the hitters is still a little bit too 2019. Right. It, and like you mentioned, a lot of this, these numbers are skewed a little bit because of Jose Miranda. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we don't have enough data, so to speak, on the Twins without him. But that doesn't mean that like it's meaningless because one one player is not going to shift the entire stats of a team. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's just I don't know. I just think it's a little weird when you're looking at these metrics. Um, I mean, we, we've talked about a little bit ad nauseum in regards to the whole bases loaded thing. But um, I was actually kind of doing a little bit of research on that. And actually the league as a whole sucks at like the bases loaded situation this year. Um, Like the the league, the league average is like a hundred points lower than (laughs) where it's historically been. Um, But I know you and I both, you know, know John Foley who writes for Tokyo town and how much he loves talking about how much the twins just, uh, they suck at swinging. Um, and I just think it's so interesting that like when, yeah, when you look at the swing rates and the contact rates, your whiff rates and like how they're trying to hit at the plate, like a lot of it speaks to just like this boomer bust sort of yeah philosophy. Definitely. The, the kind of, the one last note I want to make about the offense as a whole, and maybe where some of the struggles are coming from is it, to me, it's kind of about two players in particular as to why this is underperforming. And it's Jose Miranda and Jorge Polanco. Mm-hmm. And then for different reasons. Jorge Polanco just hasn't been on the field, right? The offseason knee surgery took longer than to recover than people thought. Yep. But now this hamstring strain, I'm sure they're going to be taking it a little bit more cautious than normal because of the knee and because since Buxton is DHing every day, you know, Polanco can't get days at DH. So they want him to be able to play in the field every day. So that that's one part. But the other part of it is Jose Miranda, who just look completely lost to start the season mm-hmm. and, you know, still hasn't really figured it out at triple a. And so if th- there was a big portion of the twin success this year, that was sitting on those two players because you have Correa and Buxton, but then the other guys kind of building out around of Gallo, who has been really good, all things considered. Uh, and then it was going to be Miranda hitting two, three, four, five, pretty much every single day. Polanco, same thing. And so, when two guys that you are basically counting on being the focal point of your offense aren't able to do that for two different reasons, you know, it, I think it's fair to see the offense struggle a little bit. Now I would push back on myself if I was making that argument of, okay, well the twins should have set themselves up, up better than relying on uh, Jose Miranda who had, you know, while he did have a lot of success last year, a lot of sustained success, there were a lot of cold spells. There were, you know, towards the end of the year, pitchers really figured out how to exploit him. Mm-hmm. And so um, could you have seen this coming? No, but for a playoff team, putting all their hopes into a second year player who had some very clear and obvious weaknesses, including playing third base in the first place, um, you know, maybe that's a little bit of bad process on the part of the front office. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really big what if, right? Because right. Miranda looked great right i mean there was the whole there was a whole controversy where um the twins sent him down right uh because they were calling lewis up i believe and then um lewis proceeds to tear the acl obviously miranda spends probably not even 24 hours officially with the saint paul saints comes up and then just rakes for the rest of the year um and obviously he raked in spring training too 
Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, opening day comes, and it's like, oh, where where is all the offense gone? Yeah, and that's what's interesting too is obviously everybody knows spring stats are not real stats because tons of players have horrible spring trainings, but Oh, it turns out they're just trying something new. They wanted to see if they could adjust a little bit. And then the regular mm-hmm. season comes around and they're running things back like normal. But then, you know, the opposite happens too. Like we saw with Jose Miranda, where he was so good for all the spring training. And then he comes in and he can't hit anything to save his life. So really quick to go back to what I was saying about, Uh, Miranda and his kind of struggles towards the end of the year before we move on. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look at his OPS by month, May 532, he didn't play with April. He wasn't up up with the twins then. May 532, June and July. June was 856. July was 1,008. So, you know, just destroying pitching in July, August 705, September, October 715, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically looking at the slugging percentage, which I think is a big indicator for Miranda. Is he driving the ball? Is he swinging at good pitches? Slugging percentage by month, 324 in May, and then 514 June, 603 in July, August back down at 380 and 377 in September and October. So um, again, they were putting a lot of hopes that the June and July version was going to be more like the version that we saw and clearly – He's been more like the August and September version. And so right. um, we've talked ad nauseum about the offense. Let's move to another thing that Twins fans love to complain about, which is Rocco Baldelli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was reported earlier this week by uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that Rocco Baldelli is signed through at least 2025. Basically, in his original contract, he had options for uh, the 2024 and 2025 seasons. Uh, they apparently agreed to a contract extension just to buy those out. And it's unclear on if he signed past 2025, but the wording was he signed at least through 2025. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, a lot of people have opinions on Rocco Baldelli for things that I don't really think have to do with Rocco Baldelli pretty much at all. But to me, the only thing that matters in terms of um, manager valuation is how do the players feel about him? Because Mm -hmm. most of what being a manager is, is personality management, it's people management, it's working with individuals. Um, And so, you know, it's a lot more similar to like being a manager in a business in that way where, yeah, there's in-game decisions you have to make. But for the most part, that plan's made before you even get into the game, right? So today we know that we want to get Lopez into the game. We want to get Duran into the game. We know that if uh, Toronto comes at at us with uh, Tim Mizo, we're going to bring Garlic off the bench for Kirilov, right? All all that stuff you kind of know going into it. There's very few decisions such as the Mania situation earlier this week where – the manager's caught off guard. The manager doesn't really know what to do. Their responsibilities, again, people management, and then kind of, I think there's a little bit of a motivation factor that goes along with that uh, as well. And so I know that social media loves to get upset at the manager. I think it's mostly because they're an easy fall guy. You know, they're the public facing voice for the team. They're the one who has to talk to the media every day after every game. So he gets blamed for a lot of things that aren't necessarily his fault. But what I would say is if the front office likes working with him, if the players like working with him, I'm fine with Rocco being here, you know, as long as both those parties are happy. Do you have any thoughts on Rocco, John? I actually kind of like the guy. Um, I yeah. mean, as it, he reminds me a lot, and this is going to maybe take a few um, few steps down the PTSD for some, some Minnesotans, <laughs> but it, he, sometimes he feels a lot like Leslie Frazier to me, hmm. um, where – if you know if you're a damaged Vikings fan like I am, um, Frazier after every game would basically say, "We're going to look at the tape and uh, figure out how to how to fix this team." And it's just like Rocco is very much like 
no personality like where you know like he doesn't give a lot of um uh a lot of color i guess to yeah. his interviews and things like that he's he's very buttoned down sort of guy and uh it, it is what it is like some people don't like that and i'm like you know what like for the most part most of the decisions are defensible you know i think yeah. he's done a really good job with um, at least getting matchups correct in terms of uh, relievers and using the bullpen correctly. Um, like he brought on Duran for uh, a fireman situation in the um, in the nine seven game. Yes, it was like a, the Twins had a big lead, but it was like no, Blue Jays are dangerous. We're going to bring out Duran in the eighth instead of keeping him for the closer role. And I like that he's not super stuck in those ways like yeah and and when it comes to lineup and you know rosters and things like that a lot of that is still kind of uh dictated by the front office and with with Derek Falvey obviously uh being kind of the head guy there but yeah Rocco ends up really being the fall guy for a lot of these decisions even though it's more of like a group thing that they're they're figuring out yeah I I, th- I think the Leslie Frazier comparison is good in terms of personality uh, but I think unlike football, baseball, there's not like schemes, right? Where in right. football you have like your defensive scheme, your offensive schemes that your coaches are bringing. And those can vary really widely and vary by personnel. In baseball, you know, maybe there's some a few techniques here and there. But again, like trying to make players better, that falls more on the hitting coaches and the pitching coaches and mm-hmm. everything. And so, yeah, I, I think it's it's different in that way. And so all we've heard from Derek Falvey is how much he loves Rocco Baldelli. All mm-hmm. we've heard from – uh, the players is how much they love working with Rocco Baldelli. And so Byron Buxton specifically called him out when he signed his contract. Carlos Correa specifically signed him out when he called uh, Rocco out when he decided to come to the Twins after everything that happened this offseason because right. of that relationship that he had with Rocco. He knew he could trust him. He knew he liked mm-hmm. working with him. And so yeah. at the end of the day, that's what matters more. And like you were saying, anything that's done like organizationally, I think is more of a front office directive, right? And I just don't want to take another moment here to say that Derek Falvey is really good at his job and uh, <laughs> the Minnesota twins are very lucky to have him and that he hasn't been poached by some other team somewhere else. Uh, you know, I think we're really starting to see that his kind of specialty and with Levine as well was the uh, pitching development. And we've seen that, right. And a lot of those targets have come in via trade. Sure. But yep. they made Pablo Lopez better. They made Joe Ryan better. Bailey Ober and Louis Varland have come out of nowhere to be, you know, figments in the twins rotation, right. you know, they, they've been really good at that. Then the minors, we've seen similar things. They've been very good at, you know, identifying strengths and pitchers specifically and having them hammer down and focus on those strengths. Griffin Jacks moving into the bullpen, focusing on the slider. That's another one. And so, yeah. um, just, just think about where we are compared to the Terry Ryan area er, eras, Oof. right? Either of the Terry Ryan eras. We, we're so far <laughs> removed from that. The Twins have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball because they're striking guys out. Like, can you imagine? We're called the Pitch to Contact podcast. We don't pitch to contact anymore. It's awesome. It is It is kind of nice to not have that worry. Um, but I think the one thing I could maybe even point to is, like, beginning of the season, like, the Twins, like, didn't steal the bases at all. And then – I think they kind of realized, like, our offense kind of sucks. Um, we need to do something to get our guys in scoring position. And they're like, yeah. you know what? We actually have some guys who have some speed on this team. Like, let's let's actually steal a little bit more. Obviously, to your chagrin, Buxton is stealing more. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, Willie Castro, I think, has really come on the scene. Yeah, definitely. Like the guy's got some speed. Um, and, they're you know, they're willing to send guys if it makes sense. Um, and I, I think that's, like, maybe one of those changes that Rocco has made this season that you're like, okay, 
that's clearly like he learned from how the early season is going and is realizing yeah. like we need to take advantage of the fact that every other team in the majors is also stealing the bases and getting into good situations. Like we also need to figure that out just a little bit. Yeah, definitely. The, the one other thing with Rocco that I think maybe you could pin on him a little bit. And again, this is still kind of the maybe thing is there does seem to be a little bit this last week, especially a lack of spark motivation, especially mm-hmm. with the offense where, um, you know, they just look so unmotivated. They're taking bad at bats and, you know, maybe it's just a cold spell. Maybe it's the injuries. Maybe it's, you know, we're running out the St. Paul Saints plus Buxton and Correa in most of these games. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it could be any number of things, but, you know, that that's something where ideally you would like your manager to try to provide a little bit of that motivation, a little bit of that spark. But the other thing is maybe he is. We don't know. We're not behind closed doors. We see Rocco Baldelli for two and a half hours a day on the field and then for some media availability after. There's a yeah. lot he does outside of that. And so, um, you know, I, I don't even know if I can pin that necessarily on Rocco. Right. But a lot of that, too, is also on the personalities of the team. I mean, you've yeah. got your leaders, obviously, in Correa and Buxton. You know, they set the tone for the entire clubhouse. But then you have these glue guys who, you know, are – useful in you know kind of keeping things loose and kind of keeping spirits high you know pablo lopez went out and got the the home run vest uh you know the land of ten thousand rakes and that that kind of helped spur on the team a little bit um you know buxton in an interview today specifically talking about you know kind of the biggest story in twins uh in the twins sort of uh universe right now with Royce Lewis coming into the team. He talked about how Nick Gordon was bringing a lot of that clubhouse energy um, and kind of hoping that Lewis can kind of bring a little bit of the same thing. But yeah, it's like these guys like, you know, Nick Gordon, Pablo Lopez, like they're not necessarily the de facto leaders of the team, but they play important roles in terms of morale and things like that. Yeah. And I've actually heard that quite a bit about Nick Gordon, where obviously it was great last year when he was also performing, but even this year, everybody likes the guy. He, like you're saying, he keeps things loose. He keeps things rolling. And you know, the fact that Buxton specifically called him out today when talking about Royce Lewis, I think is a good sign yeah. for Royce Lewis, which is our next topic of conversation. Uh, it was announced today after the game that Royce Lewis will be activated off the IL tomorrow. The first day he's eligible, uh, he's going to be coming back up. And I would imagine starting every day at third base uh, and filling in for Correa short occasionally. Um, and, you know, I think the hope is kind of like Kirilov did when Kirilov came up uh, at first you, know, you don't even have to hit necessarily, but sometimes just having that guy in the lineup gives everybody else a little bit added sense of motivation and can kind of push things forward a little bit. Yeah, and uh, kind of the crazy thing is that it's basically one year from when he tore his ACL. So. Almost to the date. It's a yeah. crazy fast comeback. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. And obviously he's a guy who I think if you've you know read anything about you know Twins in the, in the past few months about Lewis specifically, like he's just super positive, like just was yeah. raring to get back. The twins are like, you know what? We're going to procedurally slow you down by putting you on the 60 day AL. Yeah. Um, and of course then he's like, all right, that's fine. Uh, send me to triple A as soon as I can. And then he is just destroying triple A pitching. Yeah. Um, his slash line is kind of ungodly. 333 average, 371 OBP with a 727 slugging. Four homers, 11 RBI. And he's got four stolen bases too. I really like that aggressiveness. And I do hope the Twins take advantage of that when he comes up. 
Yeah, the four stolen bases I think are important too because I think we talked about this last week where it's showing that he trusts the knee, right? If you don't trust yep. the knee, you're you're not taking off, you're not running like that. But he is, you know, there's been some good highlights if you've been on social media of you know some really slick fielding plays at third. You know, he is one of the most physically gifted Twins prospects ever, pretty much. Yep. I mean, him and Buxton pretty much are right there at the top in terms of just pure physical traits. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you can see that where third base comes to him super easily. And the fact that he returned from an ACL tear, you know, if you, if we want to talk really return, it was probably more like nine months. He was in spring training. He was hitting, he was running, he was doing everything. And Twins yep. were like, no, no, back off. And as soon as they put him on a rehab assignment, he's like, no, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And so for this guy who's played all of what, 30 games at AAA in his career, plus like 10 in the majors, he's faced so little like upper level pitching. And he's been so good on this rehab assignment. Now, maybe there's some concerns there. It says maybe he's getting lucky, but the Twins clearly feel good enough about him where they're ready to go, and he's going to be in the lineup tomorrow, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be weird for them to call him up and be like, right. all right, <laughs> sit down for, for like a couple of games. Yeah, it, I, I'm really excited, man. Like, we've been hearing about Royce Lewis since he was drafted. You know, the Twins getting that first overall pick after yeah. a really horrible year. It's nice to see that motivation. You know, there's been some other people in his draft class that have already come up yep. and have played really well. Hunter Green, to name one, to start. Yep. Um, and hopefully Royce Lewis can – be what everybody thought he was going to be before the ACLs. Yeah. Uh, I, and yeah. The kind of irony was that I think the guy who went second, Brandon McKay, is um, no longer in organized baseball. So Is he not? Uh, I know the Rays like DFA'd him or something oh, like that. Interesting. And I don't even know if he's on a team anymore. I'm sure he's maybe like toiling in like the minors somewhere. But yeah, um, yeah that's uh, this this pick could have gone really poorly. And I think um, uh, Royce Lewis has in terms of at least his personality and who he is as a person, like it, it's been the best case scenario. It's just really unfortunate that these injuries have really um, prevented him from yeah. being more than he has been so far. Definitely. It, it also goes to show how much, uh, you know, front office people know about baseball compared to normal people where I remember that draft because we had the first pick. Oh my goodness. That's, yeah. that, that's probably the most that I've ever like really looked closely into prospects. The MLB draft because of the high school guys, I think is a little harder to follow than other yep. sports. And so, you know, the, the three that I was like, okay, these are the guys I want were Lewis green and McKay. So McKay was the one where I was like, that's the, that's the guy, right? He's, yeah. he's a two way prospect. He can hit, he can pitch, he can do it all. Obviously, that didn't work out. Hunter yeah. Green has been really good. He's got a big, fat, healthy extension to uh, back things up. And so, yeah. Well, uh, yeah it's been the funny thing, too, is Hunter Green, when he was a, a, a high schooler, was featured on on ESPN the magazine's cover page with yeah, like, like, is he the LeBron of baseball? And you're just like, this kid throws like 102 in high school. Like, how could he not like be an amazing talent? And he was also like a two way player at the time, too. And then Lewis was kind of not the app. Was, he was a little bit of the afterthought. It was kind of McKay or, or yeah. Green. And then it was like, oh, the twins drafted Lewis. And a lot of times, and then I think basically a bunch of people were like, oh, classic twins, you know, like drafting a guy below slot. Uh, yeah, just saving some money. Which right. Like, exactly. It's not really even how the draft works, you know, like <laughs> anyway. But yeah, it, I, I'm really excited to see Royce back up, you know, tomorrow Memorial Day, no work. So I'm going to have that Twins games front and front and center. You know, a lot of times when I'm watching just because I have another real job besides covering Twins baseball, <laughs> it, it's something that I have on in the background while I'm doing other work. But no, this is going to be my main focus tomorrow. I'm really excited to see uh, Royce Lewis. It'll be a good way to celebrate the holiday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So the other move that was made as well was uh, Max Kepler is also going to be activated off the injured list tomorrow. 
Uh, for those two moves, Kyle Garlick was optioned back down and Matt Walner was optioned back down. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Garlick makes sense. You're kind of bringing in Lewis as that righty bat anyway. But I'll be interested to see with it is against lefties if we maybe see Kyle Farmer work in the corner outfield. I don't think they will, mostly because they'd like to keep things a little bit more consistent for him. Mm-hmm. But that was something coming into the year that they did mention of, you know, with all the lefty corner outfield bats we have, Kyle Farmer maybe is a candidate to see some time out there. Um, but the other thing with this is Walner, who, as we mentioned before, at the beginning of the show, he had reached base in eight straight plate plate appearances. In my opinion, it's kind of really the sparking of the offense, uh, these past couple days, Julian and Willie Castro right along with him. But, you know, really seeing Walner have that really good stretch was exciting for me as someone who's been following him pretty closely the last couple of years. Yeah, the only knock was that he was batting um, 077 before those eight play appearances. So, and that, yes, he did. He finally got a two in front of that, um, but it it was a couple rough games from Walter. I, I think he's hitting 358 now. Is it three? Okay, yeah, yeah I think it is because there have been so, that few, so play few play appearances. appearances. Yeah, yeah, um, but the one thing that's interesting here is kind of. The Garlic-Lewis debate, I don't really think is much of a debate. The Garlic decision, I think, is a little more interesting to look at in the perspective of Donovan Solano, where Solano, that's kind of the role he's filling is the right-handed hitting bat. I think Solano gets a little bit more favor here because he can play second and he can play third, uh, whereas obviously Garlic is confined to the outfield and he's not a great outfielder at that. And so not that Solano is anything great on the infield, but again, he at least has the capability of playing second, first, and third. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... What will be more interesting to me is when Polanco comes back, for example, is this Solano someone you necessarily want to keep on the roster? Because he has a high batting average. He's not driving the ball, really. He has a couple doubles. He's not providing much of any value on defense. Um, and I think when the offense is struggling like it is, is it better just to have the better bat than the defensive versatility? Mm-hmm. Um, you have guys that can fill in at second, third, short, especially with Royce Lewis coming back up. You know, Solano is becoming a bit of a, you know, luxury to have but not necessarily good luxury you also have Willie Castro who can play in the infield and so um yeah that that was something that was interesting to me along with uh, the Walner decision which again you don't really have another choice with Max Kepler you can't option Max Kepler to AAA unless you want to try to pass him through waivers right. and while we have our complaints about Max Kepler someone would 100% pick him up if he was on waivers yep. and so I, I just think it's an interesting thing to look at right is Kepler better than Walner most likely, yes, right? He had two good games. He had eight good plate appearances. Before that, there wasn't a lot of consistency. What will be more interesting is when Barnett comes back is then you have to kind of make a decision of even if they're both on the roster, who's really going to be in the lineup? And so when the offense is playing as poorly as it is right now, do you just have to make hard decisions and say, sorry, Donovan Solano, sorry, Max Kepler, we need our nine best bats in the lineup right? despite the defense that you may bring? Well, and I guess this really all goes back to Buxton is DHing. Yeah. And um, it's not his fault because the reality is you'd rather have his bat in the lineup than not. So, and the, and the best way that the twins can do that is if he date DHs, you know, every single day. But then that means that you've got someone like Michael A. Taylor, who's, you know, a really good defensive outfielder, but doesn't really contribute a ton in terms of his bat. Or you could put Willie Castro out there, who, as we saw, doesn't have the greatest defensive like uh, instincts out in the outfield, but has maybe a 
better bat or at least provide something a little different. Maybe being the key word. He's had a good week, but was not good before this week. Yeah, I was. it was actually interesting in this game when they brought in Solano to pinch hit. I thought, and maybe I was being a little too smart by doing this, I thought that what they were going to do is move Gallo to center and then move Donovan to first. Um, yeah. Of course, what they did is they just brought in Jeffers because that's the logical Right. That's obviously the logical thing here. But it's like one of those things where you kind of forget that both Gallo and Kepler can play center. Should they play center on a daily basis? Uh, probably not. But it is something that you can kind of maybe play with. Because Gallo is a surprisingly decent um, uh, defensive outfielder. He's had a couple gold gloves in, in, in left. And Kepler is you know probably one of the better defensive right fielders in the game. And they're both above average defensive center fielders. So... Um. It, there's there's things that you can play with in, in terms of the offense, um, but thankfully the Twins don't have to make a ton of those hard decisions just yet. Yeah, and again, the important caveat with this is that the people making the decisions have so much more information than we do. Oh, where, yep. um, not only like obviously they're seeing everything we're seeing. These are the conversations that they have. Right? Is can Joey Gallo play on the outfield? And Probably right now with the hamstring strain that he's had, they're not really playing him out there at all. They've they've run Kirloff out there and yep. left and Gallo mm-hmm. over at first. Yep. And I think I, in their ideal defensive scenario, those are flopped, right? Where correct Kirloff is better at first and Gallo has more value in the outfield. And so because of the hamstring, can't do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's been some talk about maybe putting Kepler more in center, and he apparently has been pretty resistant to that. And so that's something else you have to take into account too is do right. the guys feel comfortable out there. If they don't feel comfortable out there, well, you're more likely to make a mistake just because of the mentality of it all. Mm-hmm. And so these are conversations that Falvey and Rocco I'm sure are having every single day. You know, they're talking about in this idealized version of the twins where everybody is healthy, who are really the 13 best hitters you want on the team, who are the nine best guys you want in the lineup and how do we try to get as many of those guys in as we can. And right. so, Again, I, I trust them at the end of the day, but just something interesting to think about. Yeah, and I also hate being the guy who's like, oh, you know, we want to look further than just like this season. But like, this is potentially a, a group where let's just say Gallo and Kepler both leave after this season. You're replacing them with guys like Larnick and Walner. Um, not exactly a bad situation to have, um, but for yeah. this season, yeah, it's, it is a little weird. Yeah, they, but kind of like you were mentioning, they have a lot of young guys in very similar positions, right? You have Lewis, Larnick, Kirilov, Kirilov, Julian, Walner, hopefully eventually Miranda kind of joins this group, but guys, hitters specifically, who don't really have anything left to prove in the minor leagues, right? You look at uh, Walner and Larnick in particular, who maybe have been the two that have struggled the most at the big league since they've mm-hmm. been up. Every time they're down in AAA, they are top of the league in hitting metrics, right? They're driving the ball. They're hitting it out of the park. They're making contact. They're taking walks. They're doing everything. And so they they have nothing left to prove in the minor leagues. And so do you have room for them here or are they trade chips, right? Is this Mm -hmm. a guy where it's like, you know, we we just don't have room for it. Can you sell them to another team to try to bring back maybe a more veteran bat on a shorter contract to get the team control of Matt Walner, right? Um, And so – Kind of like I was mentioning with the Walner situation earlier, at some point you have to make decisions on what to do with these. And the Twins haven't had to yet because of the injury situations, but is it time to give Lewis, Larnick, Walner, Julian, Miranda some extended run and see if they can hang and hope that that can do something to spark the offense? Or do you keep running it back with Kepler, Solano, that that group? Right. 
Um, okay, some other quick news and notes before we wrap up uh, on the injury front. Kent Maeda and Caleb Thielbar are both set to start rehab assignments on Tuesday, uh, which is exciting, especially on the Thielbar side where the Twins clearly need some help in the bullpen. We talked about this last week, so we won't go too far on it again today, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Kent Maeda when he returns. Um, they said they're building him back up as a starter. They're not going to build him up in the bullpen, but they can build him back up as a starter and use him in long relief, right? And so, um, or maybe start to use him in long relief and maybe transition to a few more short opportunities, kind of like the Twins have done with uh, Jose De Leon to uh, start his stint with the Twins. Um, you have any thoughts on Maeda or Thielbar? It'll just be nice to get another lefty in the pen, if yeah. only just to have a little bit more diversity there in terms of what you can trot out against opposing teams. I, I still believe that... I don't want to put my traded ships and just say Maeda is going to be worse than Varlin, so they should send Maeda to the to the bullpen. Like There is a world here where Maeda is better than, than Varland, um, but... I think they'll need to see how Maeda looks in in his rehab assignments um, to really make that decision. It wouldn't be the end of the world for them just to send Varland back right. to AAA, um, have Maeda, you know, have a couple starts. If it clearly isn't working anymore, then maybe it's time to transition him to long relief. Um, yeah. And and it's unfortunate, but he does. He still has some of the best stuff. He just can't stay healthy. Um, and uh, some of the injuries he's had this season are like complete fluke injuries, right? Like there was that one where like he just twisted his ankle trying to throw a guy out at first and got hit. I think also by a comebacker. Like it's he's been incredibly unlucky. But the the, the thing is that the stuff hasn't been there as well. So yeah. Um, Hopefully he looks better after this rehab assignment and can can start because I think the best version of this team does have Maeda on it. I just don't know what that role is. Yeah, he had that one really good start to start the season. I think he struck out like nine or ten in five innings, something like that. Yeah, it was like a matchup um, against Sandy Alcantara. It was like it was incredible. Yeah, we were all like, oh, we got Ace Kenta back. The Twins are going to be unstoppable, right? And then he's been bad in pretty much every other start besides that. Like you said, there were some injuries. Um, you know, he left some starts early because of that. But whereas Varland, he's, you know, he hasn't been perfect every time out by any stretch of the imagination, but he's given the Twins a chance to win in every yep. single start. He hasn't really had a bad start. And so, you know, it it's easy to see, you know, maybe the ceiling of Maeda is better than the ceiling of Varland. But right now, who gives you the better chance to win Again, a decision, a conversation that the front office is having and they'll have to figure out. But I think one thing to look at is with that first start when he looked so good because he had that long stretch off before yep. having to take the mound, mm -hmm. maybe that is something that means his stuff would translate better to the bullpen, right? Maybe he just, at this point, he's a little older. He's still coming off those that major injury. He just needs some more time to rest. And so if you can't give him more time to rest, give him shorter outings and maybe that'll help him look better. Right. Or they just do the weird six-man rotation. The six-man rotation. I mean, you could also keep both of them and piggyback, right? Have one of them uh, pitch the first two or three innings, have the other one pitch the second two or three. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the Twins would want to do that, given how they like to use their bullpen in general. But you know, th there's lots of options they could go with, and I'm sure they'll figure out the best way to use Maeda because they're pretty good at that. Yeah. Um, all right. The other thing I'm – to talk about here uh, on the injury front is Carlos Correa uh, for like 48 hours. I'm pretty sure it was the end of his career with the plantar <laughs> yeah. 
uh, fasciitis injury. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was in the lineup on uh, Friday versus the Blue Jays. Everybody was freaking out where it's like, oh, this is such a waste of money. He's not going to be able to play. I mean, I was buying into it a little bit too. I was like, oh, we're going to see Alex Degati up for three days before Royce Lewis is eligible <laughs> on Monday. Like, what, what are we going to do here? And then like an hour after I sent that message out to some buddies, the tweet came out with the lineup and Craya was in it. So, yep. And he's looked and he's looked like decent. Like he's yeah. he's been he's again we he, he had that bomb that was one foot short of a homer. Yeah. Um, that that injury in particular is one that's interesting too. So I, I actually strained it once uh, a few years ago, and it's something where like it's pain, right? But oh, totally. for the most part, if you can deal with the pain, you're okay, right? It, it's not something that can necessarily it can be re-injured. It can be worsened a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's mostly just so different for how each individual reacts to it. And so some right. people are like, oh, I can't walk. Some people are sore for a couple of days and he's back. Correa, they gave him a game, a day off, and then another game. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow uh, with you know kind of the day game with Royce Lewis coming up. Maybe they just slot him in at short. So Yeah, I mean, Kyle Farmers, other than a error, uh, I think in the first game of the Toronto series, has looked yeah. okay at third. So. I will be interested to see in general just how when Correa is out, they do the shortstop third base mix between Farmer and Lewis, where I think realistically the better scenario is Lewis at short and Farmer at third. They're probably both better at each of those positions defensively. But long-term with Correa in the lineup, you're just not going to see Royce Lewis at short that much this year. And right. so do they put Farmer at short just so Lewis can get more reps at third in the meantime? It'll, it'll just be interested to see. It's interesting to see what they decide to do. Yeah. And, and there's the hope here too, that like um, with basically a three headed monster at short and third, like you can give Korea a few more days off. Yeah. Or you can allow Farmer a few more days off as well. You know, both aren't, I mean, they're not old by any stretch of the means, but like, you know, Days off are always good for for players, and if you can have elite defense and decent offense at at those two positions through the mix of those three players, I think the Twins will be pretty happy with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, The one other news uh, that was interesting was that Rocco and his wife, Allie, are having twins, they announced. So they are due in September, I believe. Uh, Just a funny coincidence there, one very similar to a guy you may have heard of named Joe Maurer. Huh, who's that? And just a uh, future first ballot Hall of Famer. That's all. <laughs> um, all right. So real quick look ahead to next week as well. Uh, so we'll be on the road to play the Astros and then back home for four against the Guardians. Uh, of course, you maybe remember the Twins beat the Astros, took two out of three from them in their season opening series or their home opening series, uh, which was a really big early bright spot of, you know, maybe the Twins are legit. Maybe they're here to stay because you're able to take down a team like the Astros. So, Obviously, I think the vibes are pretty different this time around when we're facing them. They have Jose Altuve back, but we have Royce Lewis back. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a bit of a wash. I, I and obviously Corey has been back to Houston, but it'll it'll always be interesting for him to go back to to that uh, that area, that stadium, because you know they love him, but at the same time they were just like, oh, we have this pretty good guy called um, uh, Jeremy Pena, and um, 
yeah, we don't we don't really need you anymore. Yeah, I'm so. not sure. I'm not sure if you've heard of World Series MVP Jeremy Pena. Right, not, exactly. But. Yeah, he's he's doing all right. So we're not yeah. we're not really missing Carlos Correa. Yeah, I know. I know uh, Correa gets booed pretty much everywhere he goes because of the cheating stuff. Yeah, it would be so funny to me if in uh, Houston people are like, "Oh, cheater, Correa, you're such a cheater!" <laughs> like, I, just for the comedy, I'd want it to happen. I think it'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I want to see trash cans there if, if people bring them. <laughs> So. Definitely. And then, of course, four against the Guardians. John mentioned it earlier, but the Guardians cannot hit anything to save their lives. And so as bad as you think it is for the Twins, the Guardians are so much worse. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually pretty dismal. Um, and then there was also a period where uh, Joram wasn't playing. So it was like, yeah. not only can they hit, they have like literally zero offense. Um, of course, the, the, road, the reliever group also isn't like super hot right now. Class A has been like up and down. Yeah. Um, Trevor Steffen's kind of been their other guy. Karen Chacks hasn't been that great either. Um, thankfully, we're not facing them before they get back um, uh, Tristan McKenzie. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's going to be a team that when they have like a full healthy like five man rotation, it's going to be scary. And uh, like we saw last year, they're very capable of putting together like a really good string of games and um, and overcoming, you know, a huge deficit in the division race. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, obviously we all know the Guardians have just a pitching pipeline, right? Like they are the masters of developing frontline starting pitching, not just good starting pitching, but top of the line starting pitching. Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie. I uh, have a few guys this year that have broken out as well. And the, the thing that really propelled them to success last year, though, was that they had breakouts from a lot of hitters all at the same time, right? Yep. Jose Ramirez is one of the best hitters in the game, has been for a long time, still is. But, you know, they had breakouts from Ahmed Rosario, from Andres Jimenez, from Josh Naylor, uh, Stephen Kwan. And all of those guys have regressed to varying degrees. Kwan probably the less of all of them, but Naylor's really struggled to drive the ball. Uh Jimenez and Rosario look like the versions of themselves they were before last year. And so maybe there was a little bit of a fool's gold there. So, um, yeah, I, I think unlike the White Sox who have the names that just haven't performed, the Guardians don't have the names and they're not performing. So, yeah. I mean, remember, like, them winning the division last year was like completely a fluke, like, yeah. by the like national media sort of. Um, uh, optics because they were not they were they were projected to finish third in the division I think at the beginning yeah. of the season so um, the fact that they won was kind of incredible they had like the youngest roster I think in the majors or something ridiculous like that yeah um, so they're kind of just playing to their expectations at this point which is a not very good team uh, they're going to be some low scoring affairs because they have good pitching the twins have the good pitching and so it'll just be you know who hits the one homer in the eighth that makes the difference. And oh, hopefully it will wait. be Royce Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's not like a situation where, um, I mean, Milo Pagan's actually been okay, but you know, I would just hate to see him like yeah. come up in the seventh with like two men on base and just turn off the TV because I know what's going to happen next. That is the one other note we should make is he left today's game with, I believe what they called a That's left true. hip impingement. Yep. And so, uh, we'll see what happens there. Frankly, I don't know who they even call up if he has to go on the injured list until Thielbauer is able to come back. But, yeah. um, you know, here's where we're at as Twins fans where we can't afford to have Emilio Pagan go on the injured list right now. Yeah, and it was super weird too. And I don't like the, the slow-mo, re- uh, slow-mo replay. Like, it was a weird pitch because he um, he hit Matt Chapman with a 95-mile fastball. Clearly, he wasn't intending to do that. Right. 
Um, but his mechanics like looked okay when he was he, when he threw that pitch and like it clearly wasn't his arm like he wasn't holding his arm and he was walking off with you know his own power. But yeah, the a hip flexor strains kind of um those can be a little dicey if they're that they're serious. Yeah, I mean anything with a pitcher can be tough, right? Because <laughs> it's you have true. to it's your whole body, right? It's not like a hitter where it's like oh I tweak this thing, but you know I can still swing. You know it's like Miranda with the shoulder in spring training right. where it's like I can't really field, but I'm swinging the bat fine. Pretty much anything if it gets hurt on a pitcher not ideal (laughs) yeah but especially your hips because that's how you generate all that yeah definitely um so again thank you guys for tuning in listening to another episode this week we ran a little long i keep on saying every week we're gonna get shorter yet we somehow keep getting longer because the twins (laughs) just do that to you i guess but uh again be sure to check out our other work you can check us out at twinkie town uh for your daily twins coverage and all the information analytics and game coverage that you need and you can check out john on pitcher list for fantasy baseball john what is your fantasy tip of the week uh pick up michael kopek he's got some got some good matchups coming up uh, including one against the twins so i guess maybe that's a little a little premature there but uh he's he's at least gonna have some pretty cushy starts for the next three three games yeah i i will admit at the end of this podcast where very few people are listening that I've picked up a few pitchers the Twins are facing because I knew they were probably <laughs> going to get a quality start. And I just really needed that quality start check mark uh, yeah, for my head-to-head exactly. matchup. So, uh, yeah, betting against the Twins, it's a win-win, right? Because if, <laughs> yeah. if they win, great, you're happy, you're a Twins fan. If they lose, well, at least I have this to back it right. up. So. I've always said nothing fixes, nothing fixes a slumping team more than facing the Twins. <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh maybe maybe something we should look into there because i do know there are a few teams that have you know broken out of some rough slumps after facing the twins went on to win a few games after but maybe maybe i should look into that a little bit more yeah uh anyway you can follow us on twitter you can follow john at the john Cut and myself at ben jones underscore five again be sure to follow us on twitter if you like what you heard and follow us on your podcast platform of choice uh to be sure to catch every single new episode every single monday Uh, Thank you again for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys next week. Go Royce Lewis.